turn there. We begin a new series today called Flourish. How many of you could watch a video like that on and on and on, put some good music behind it and just kind of fade out? But anyway, it's all about flourishing this morning, and it will be for the next uh, 14 weeks. Uh, we will be in this series, a verse-by-verse study of the book of First Thessalonians or the letter to the church at Thessalonica, however you prefer to call it. Uh, but we will be doing a verse-by-verse study. And today as we begin the series, go ahead and look there on your outline. Flourish may be one of the best words to describe a Christian who is maturing in their faith. And of course, the definition of flourish is to be healthy and thriving, to blossom, to be at the height of influence. Now, I don't know about you, but when I looked up the word itself and began to study what the word actually means, I had no idea about this third part of this definition, to be at the height of influence. And I thought, boy, that makes the word even more perfect, uh, the way it fits into what we've been called to be as Christians. So what I would like to do is this morning use two illustrations here this morning uh, as it relates to the idea of flourishing. Now, on this table here, we have uh, some what we call dried plants, okay, and um, (laughs) are a dry plant. And if you look at this, you would say, you know, something that looks good, it's decorative, it actually sits in our home at our house, it's right above the television, so I get to see it all the time, And and yet there's one thing about this, it's dead, it's dead. And it sits there, and it's it's pretty. It has its appeal to it. But then when you come on this side, you have something that is definitely what we would call alive. Can you see that there's a difference? If you, the closer you get, the more of a difference you'll see in the two. Now, this one is definitely fully alive, while this one is dead. And, and, and when you look at the two, you can say, you know, both of them, you kind of see the similarities, but there is a huge difference in the two. The difference is the fact that one is grounded in soil and the other is not. One is brittle and dry. The other is what we would say is thriving, is healthy, and is blossoming. And that's what we're seeing here. Now, therefore, when we thrive, when we bloom, we are at the height of influence. That means that our, our, our influence is one of beauty. Would you agree with that? Of course. Now, some of you say, well, you know, some, this, this isn't bad to settle for. I mean, there's some beauty associated with this in some ways, isn't it? But here, we're seeing that thriving beauty. You see, Paul's challenge to those who received this letter was that they flourish, that they excel in their Christianity, that they mature, that they bloom, that they thrive as Christians. So, look on your outline. Why should we as Christians flourish? The first reason is because we are called out. And the first thing you see there is Christians have been called from two locations. Now, some of you may be sitting here and you're like, two locations? What in the world are you talking about? Well, let's look at this carefully. First of all, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. These are three men who basically were writing this letter. Paul was basically saying, these guys are with me. We're doing a work here. We're sending this this to you there in your church to encourage you, to encourage you to flourish as you begin to live your life for Christ. And he's sending it out. But the first thing I want to do is I want us to clarify what it means to be a true Christian. You see, I think the word is used in so many different ways. 
There's some people who say I'm a Christian because my family has always been Christians. Grandma was a Christian, mama was a Christian, and I'm a Christian. Well, that's one way to look at it, but it's probably, in the, as, as far as the Bible goes, it's the wrong way to look at it. Some would say, well, I attend church. I go to a Christian church, so therefore, I must be a Christian. And again, that, that's the wrong answer. If you're looking for biblical, the biblical idea of what a Christian is, it literally means a small Christ. It means a, literally a follower of Christ. That's what it means. But yet so many times we use the, 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 the wording wrong and, and we don't really, I'm almost scared to use the word Christian because it's overused and it, it can be, misrepresent so many things. Did you know in the world in which we live, this could be called Christian and yet it's dead. It's dead. There's no life to it. The Bible says when Christ enters our lives, guess what comes? Life comes to those. And so right here, we have something that's here and we could call it Christian because of the way we flippantly use the term and there it is. But over here, when we look at the idea of Christian over here, we're talking about someone who's been planted. We're talking about someone who has a life source that's pumping through it. And that's what we're talking about when it comes to the terms that we're talking about here today. So what does it look like? Christians have been called from two locations. Look on your outline. From death of sin to the life of Jesus. So we are to go from death to life. The Bible says in Romans chapter six, look here on the screen, said, knowing this, that our old man, let me tell you what the Bible says about the old man. It's dead and lifeless, dead and lifeless. And it says that our old man was crucified. Do you know that the whole idea of the imagery of being crucified is the whole idea of being planted did you know there's an association with that? And so therefore, when, when I was crucified, when Christ was crucified, when I was crucified in Christ, I was planted in Christ. I was planted. And so everything that he is, is a life source that could potentially come up from within me that can cause me to thrive and bloom and, and be a, a beautiful influence for his glory. And so he says, knowing that our old man, that dead lifeless self was crucified, it was planted where? With him. You say, where do you get the idea of this? If you were to go to John chapter 15, you'll hear a whole language of this where Jesus is talking about those who are in the vine and those who are planted and the soil and the, the fruit that can come. And there's that whole language that's there. And so he says that the body of sin, that lifeless part might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves and under the power of sin. For he who has died, he who's been planted has been freed from sin. We no longer have to live under the power and the bondage of sin. Now, if we died, if we were planted with Christ, we believe that we shall also live. The word live there is not just something with a heart beating a pulse. It literally is the idea of flourish. They are flourishing. How are they flourishing? With him. So the difference between these two plants here is the fact that this one is dead. There is no source of life going through it. Over here, we have a source of life, which is causing it to bloom and thrive. A big difference. Next, why should we as Christians flourish? Because we are called out. We came from two locations. We go from the darkness of sin to the light 
of Jesus. I was talking with someone several months ago. She's actually sitting in the room here. I won't point her out and embarrass her, but this will make her sound real smart. So she may want me to point her out. But, but anyway, um, we were talking and, and, and uh, she came to see me about something in the office and she was sharing something with me. She said, you know, Brian, there's a lot of times where you'll stand in the pulpit and you'll talk about how, how is it that people can't see things that are so clear? And, 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 and I do, you hear me say that a lot, don't you? It's like, how can they not see this? Well, she reminded me as someone who was saved later in her life, she said, I've lived under that deception. It was, I think she said in her thirties before she gave her life to Christ. She knew what it was like to be deceived. She knew what it was like to live in darkness. She had the thought processes of those who live in darkness. Uh, she couldn't see the things that are so clear to many of us because there's a life source thriving through us. There's something there that's not dead. And she began to go on. And, and, and of course, my testimony is I was saved when I was eight years old. And some of you have the same testimony. And maybe you're just as frustrated as I am. How can people not see it? Well, guess what? Since you're, we were eight years old, we've been in the light. We've seen it a little differently than those of you possibly in the room that were saved later in life and fell for the deception of the enemy and fell into the deceptions of this world and what your flesh could produce. You see, there's something to that when you really think about it. And you know something I thought just kind of stayed with me and it, it just kind of bloomed there, if you want to use the word. And, and it was, it was like, it just came clear to me how desperate we can become when we're here. We still have, I mean, decorative looks, but there's no life, no life. In John 8, 12, it says, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Again, he's, when he's using that language at the end there, he's talking about life source. Now, I'm not talking about some Star Wars mumbo jumbo. I'm talking about, I'm talking about a life source of, of who Jesus is. He said he was the light. John 12, 46, Jesus also has said, I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me does not have to abide in darkness. And then in Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once darkness, in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Let me tell you something about this over here. This is dead and there's no way it can create life in itself. No way. This is alive, and, and the fact that it's alive, there are certain things that had to come along to produce the life that we're seeing here. Something that's hidden had to produce what we're seeing here. And again, what we're talking about are those things that are in Scripture over and over again, that whole idea of what light can produce, what good soul can produce, and that's what we have. We have life from that. So nothing, except for some microorganisms, if you really think about it, nothing can flourish in darkness. Walking in the light means you see things through the lens of wisdom. You're not easily deceived. This thing over here will fall for anything. But this one over here has something greater within itself that will cause it to flourish. Next. Not only do Christians have they been called from two locations, but churches have been called from two locations. The word church literally means those who are called out. 
but it's more of a reference of those who are called out together. So God has called out individuals and placed them into churches. Therefore, the church is made up of individuals, listen to me, who are called out of death unto life, who are called out of darkness into light. I want you to think about that. The goal of the church is to be people who are called out of death into life. This should not only represent you as an individual Christian, someone who has the life source of Jesus Christ and the provision of what Christ has done for your life. It's all there, it's all there. It's, this should be a picture of our church. One that is thriving. One that is an influence of beauty. One that is blooming. Not this necessarily. Again, there's a similar appearance, but there's totally difference between these two. And it's about the life that's in them. Now, here's what we need to keep in mind about the church. I love this statement. The church was supernaturally injected into human history. How many of you agree with that? Oh yeah, we find it right there in Acts chapter two. Supernaturally was it injected into human history. But here's the good part. The church will be supernaturally ejected when Jesus comes again. So we've been put in and we'll be taken out both supernaturally. And so you see that the church is something that Christ, he's literally, the calling is to call people out of this world, to call people out of darkness, to call people out of, out of being dead into life. That's the picture. This is not only a picture of you, it's a picture of what this church should be also. So every church has a double address. There's a physical location. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at the second part of verse 1. It says, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing we note there is the idea that he's addressing a literal city. There's a church uh, there in Thessalonica. Now, it's in northern Greece. Matter of fact, if you go there today, you would still see this city sitting there. It's spelled a little differently, but it would still be there. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's a city that is still striving and still uh, thriving. Uh, 200,000 people, they believe, were the population in the first century. Today, there's 400,000 people believed to live there now. You say, historically, how does this church, uh, what does it look like for this city? Well, during World War II, the Germans invaded the city, deported what we understand 60,000 Jews, and exterminated those that were pulled out of the city back in World War II. It's an important city in the first century. It also is in the 21st century. The apostle Paul purposely planted a church there so that the gospel could strategically spread in that region because there was a great highway, a Roman highway that went through the city that connected Rome in the east and Constantinople, Constantinople, okay, in the west, okay? This is a lot harder than I'm making this look. No, anyway. <laughs> no, let's reverse that. Never mind. Basically, God planted a church in that city. Now, it had a physical address. I want you to think about it. God planted a church. He called out those, listen to what he did. He called out those who were in darkness into light that were once dead and are now alive. He called them together and planted a work right there. You know, we look back 2,000 years ago and we get all caught up in it and we think, man, that, man, God, it's amazing to see what God was able to do. And Paul came in there and the church just took right off. 
Do you know something similar happened right here in this place? In 1949, this church was called out. The people in this community who were once in darkness, now in light, who were once dead are now alive in Christ Jesus, all of a sudden they came forward back in 1949. And you can read the history. This was a cotton field back then. And, and men were, it said in the, in the historical account, men were gathered around a tent discussing the possibilities of an idea of planting a church right here in this community. It's amazing that 49 all the way to where we are today, almost 70 years later, God is still using a church that he planted right here in this community. And you know something? I don't know about you. I don't want to be this type of church. It looks like a church, but there's no life. It's not thriving. It's not blooming. It's not, a, it's not an influence of beauty in this community. I want to be this church. I want to be a part of this church that's, that's thriving, that's blossoming, that God is using in a mighty way, that's a sending church, a reaching church. You see, God called this church family to complete the task he miraculously started back in 1949. And we are to move forward with the vision that he's put before us. That's what we've been called to do. So every church has a double address, a physical location, second of all, a spiritual location. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, that second part of verse 1 again. To the church of the Thessalonians. It's a, that's a physical location, but look at this part. That's in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a spiritual location. Now, isn't that amazing? That we literally, the terminology says here that we've been called out of and placed in. That's the terminology used. What were we placed in? We are placed in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That means their mandate's our mandate. That means what their heart is all about is what our heart should be about. And it's about seeing men and women and children come out of the darkness into light, come out of death into life. And that's the whole picture that we see here. It means the church lives and has its meaning and purpose in God, which means we operate in the atmosphere of God. This is why our operation as a church is so important. And here's something to think about. Now, this may blow your mind, but it's true. Did you know that the churches in this community are carrying out the most important work in this community? You say, well, the school system has a big part in educating our children. They do, and we're thankful for that. Our police department, well, boy, they take care of us. They, they keep the uh, evil restrained, and they're here, and they have a big purpose here. They, they do, exactly. But eternal, for eternal purposes, we're the most important work in this community. I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about the churches in this community. It's the most important work that's going on. I don't think we get our minds around that sometimes. You know how I know that? It's because sometimes I'm like some of you possibly, I get flipping about what my role may be. You say, you're the preacher. How can you do it? It happens at times. I have to be reminded. I have to have that wake-up call. I got to be snapped back into what God's called me to. And the same thing needs to happen to every one of us. We need to quit living as though we are dead and live as though we're thriving. That's what gets the attention of the lost world. Here's something to think about. Will we be a church described as lifeless or will we be a church described as flourishing? 
I want to be a flourishing church. I want people of all generations to say, you know something? There's something there that's going on. There's something there that's different. There's something there that has an influence of beauty. That's what I want. You see, next in the passage, we have what's called a common greeting in the first century. And Paul uses it in many of his letters. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, look at the third part of verse 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That would have been a common greeting in the first century. A common greeting here in the 21st century would be something like, how are you? Or how's it going? Or good to see you. How many of you have used one of those this past week? Okay. Either the rest of you didn't see a soul or you're rude or you got another saying. I don't know. But it is amazing. You know, sometimes uh, uh, this past week, uh, and this has happened to me several times, but I'll say something like, good to see you. And the person, have you noticed we don't really hear what each other says anymore? We just hear a greeting. And so I said to this person, good to see you. You know what they said? Good. Now, what do they think I said? How you doing? No, good to see you. Good. <laughs> I had the privilege to talk to a young lady. I had the privilege of actually being a part of leading her to the Lord. She's from Germany. And I asked her, I was just curious. She came by and we were talking about what discipleship looks like. And we were sitting there. I said, tell me one thing here in America that's, that's different that kind of caught you off guard. <laughs> Here's what she said. She said, People will ask me how I'm doing and they really don't care. I said, what do you mean? She'll, she'll say, someone will just kind of walk up to me and say, hey, how are you doing? And before I can answer, they're already walking away. Isn't that so true? It's so true. It's like, how are you doing? I'm not going to stand around and listen to your answer, but it's something to think about, right? <laughs> what about our common greetings? This was one we would have found in the first century. You see, if you lived in a Greek city, the, the word of greeting would be charis, which, meaning, which means grace to you. If you lived in a Jewish city, the word of greeting would be shalom, meaning peace to you. Matter of fact, you can go there to Israel today, and that's the same greeting. But when you put both together, you're addressing two different cultures, two common greetings. And why would Paul do that? Well, number one, he was both Greek and Jewish. But second of all, that was the people that he was referring to. The church was made up of both Greek and Jew. And they came together. And what's interesting about it is both came from the same place. You say, well, I thought Jewish people had a leg up. Nope, not when it comes to the new covenant. The whole thing is going from death to life. The whole thing is walking away from darkness into light. And so all of us come by way of the same means. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, trusted in his provision for salvation, guess what? The Bible says you have moved from death to life. Don't you think there'd be a little difference in you if that was the case? Don't you think things would look differently? Don't you think your perspective would change? Don't you think people around you would probably stop and take note that something's different here? Let's carry this first century greeting a little further in meaning. Look on your outline. Christians have been called. Look at 1 Thessalonians again. Look at, look at this same area. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. For it, it literally means Christians have been called from a life of condemnation 
to a life of grace. Romans 8, 1 says this. There is therefore now, when he says there is therefore now, because of salvation and what it brings and the provision of salvation, listen to this. There's no condemnation to those who are where? In Christ Jesus. No condemnation. If you're sitting here today and there was a time in your life where, you're, where you went from death to life, from out of darkness into light, and he became your life source and you came to him on his provision, the Bible says you don't live in condemnation anymore. You live in grace. And then he says this, I, I like this. This is the part we don't normally talk about with this verse. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, according to death, but according to the spirit. That means for those who have no, who are not living under condemnation, it was found in Christ Jesus. And guess what? To know that would mean that once there was death and now there is life. Next, Christians have been called from a life of contention to a life of peace. How many of you noticed that everybody seems to be competing with one another? We don't call it that anymore. Some of us call it keeping up. Some of us call it, well, you know, yeah, sure would like to have this, sure would like. But anyway, the, the point is there's competition and it's breeding a lot of opposition. And it happens in many ways and many forms. And the social media, you know what it does? It highlights the competition, doesn't it? Yeah, all of a sudden it breeds this discontentment. And therefore, for many people, they're not living in what Christ has provided. And it's that peace. You see, peace in this verse is not the absence of hostility as much as it is the presence of the harmony which Christ brings to our lives. Let me ask you a simple question this morning. Is there harmony within you or strife? What's going on in you right now? You don't have to live in that hostility. He's provided peace. The deal from death to life, out of the darkness into the life, is the fact that we can now walk in grace and peace. Yes. Yes. Next, why should we as Christians flourish? Second of all, because we are changed. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Paul says, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. And then he says this about remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Now, when you look at a verse like this, you, you almost could summarize by saying, you know something? The Christian life can be summed up with these three words, faith, hope, and love. How many of you have heard that before? And it really can. When you put it all together, that's really what it addresses. And so what he's talking about is this. Now that we've been changed, gone from death to life, from darkness to light, there's new spiritual realities that are around us. Something new has begun in us. I want to ask you a question. And a sermon like this, I don't know about you, but it can bring an uneasiness in a person. How many of you know that the Bible at times, its goal is to create uneasiness in us? To shake us up a little bit? 
to get us to see truth. Maybe it's, 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 it's an attempt to break through the deception that we live behind and under. That's what we're dealing with here. So, so if you ever hear a sermon, and, and now here's the way y'all say it. Boy, you sure stepped on my toes today. Look at them. They're black and blue. <laughs> I'm not making fun of those who have said it. I've said it before, okay? But here's what I want you to understand. If you're encountering that, let me tell you what's really going on. It's the truth of God's word attempting to penetrate the deception that you live under. That's what's happening. That's what God's up to. That's where he's going. So, so let's look at these new spiritual realities. First of all, there's that idea of the past as it relates to our faith. You see, the problem with the past is back there before we came to know Christ, we didn't know what to do with our sin. We knew something was missing. Possibly we knew other Christians and, and we realized there was something different about them compared to us. There seemed to be a joy in them and a peace and something about them that was different than the way we were living our lives. And all of a sudden we began to see that possibly someone may have cared enough to see that our sin was our problem. Sin was the problem and while we were living as a dead person. You see, by faith, we believe and partake of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So, so when we begin to look at our past, it was faith that brought us to life. Are we correct in that? Yeah, faith is what brought us to life. The second thing we see here is, as it relates to our spiritual realities is the present. And it's the whole idea of love. The problem with the present is a lack of love. At least a lack of love that is selfless for God and others. You see, we are to let the selfless love of God flow through us. I want you to think about that. Dead, we're over here, no life source. You say, what would that life source give to us? Well, based on the authority of scripture, the life source would give us what it needs to live the life that God's called us to live. And, and, and he said, I want spiritual fruit to come from your life. He says, there's some things I want to do in and through your life. And I want to take you from a position of being dead to a place that is thriving to the point that your influence is one of beauty. That's what he's calling us to. And so all of a sudden, that beauty there is that love that we should have. You see, let me say this. The lost world is being very critical of the church in this day and age. How many of you agree with it? Oh, yes, yes. There's almost a hatred that comes with it. How many of you have noticed that? Should we be surprised by that? No, we shouldn't be surprised by that. They, were, they started hating in the first century when Jesus showed up. Hatred's been here the whole time. It's just now we're caught off guard because we've kind of been spoiled as a society. Now, now we're being persecuted. Now we're, and, and, and let me say this. I think sometimes the church has set itself up to be persecuted at times because I, don't, I think we can create a misleading idea of who God is. I really do. Uh, here, here's what I think we need to understand. There is a God of judgment who will judge this world one day, correct? Correct. Are we the ones who are go out there and start doing all the judgment, judging before the time of judgment happens? No, we haven't been called to that. But you know what we have been called to do? To live a life, one of life that influences beauty. I think really what we've been called to is to live a life in such a way that the lost world will literally have to almost come to the conclusion, I want to remain in my deception. I want to remain over here than to go that way from pure rebellion. 
Or could it be that we could present something to them that says, you know something? That is a message of love. That is a message that God loves me and there is a beauty that's associated with it. And I'm seeing something in that that I haven't seen anywhere else in the world. You see what I'm talking about? That's what we're looking at when we start seeing and start putting these ideas together. So there's that present, there's that love. Now, listen, does truth call out people? Yes, but let the truth call out people. We are to deal with the brokenness of this world. We are here to say, hey, we're here. We're here to help. Not to shut the door before they get here, but we're here to help. Come on in. Listen, I was broke just like you. I, listen, I, I, was, I was dead just like you one time. I, I was in darkness. Man, you're talking about deception. Let me tell you where my deception carried me. But now let me tell you something about what's happened in my life. Something new has happened. There's something thriving. There's something blooming here. Next, future. There's the idea of hope. You know what's wrong with the future? Is we don't know what it holds. And for many of us, it makes us fearful. So hope here, listen, is not a hope so. How many of you ever had a hope so kind of hope? Man, I hope this works out. I have no idea where this is going, but boy, I hope this works out. You see, Here's what we need to be going. Listen to this. Now that we've been changed, we've gone from death to life, there's also new physical realities. Notice that Paul attaches something to faith, love, and hope. Each spiritual reality has a physical effect attached to it, okay? So look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 again. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. The whole idea of faith seems to have work associated with it. Now, some of you say, man, are you really going to cross? Are you really going to speak on this? I am. In James chapter two, I want you to turn there quickly, okay? Now, as you turn, listen to this. The work which, produ- which faith produces and the theme of the book of James is the whole idea that faith without works is dead. Meaning if your faith is genuine, it will cause you to labor. It will cause you to work. Meaning that spiritual reality, here's what we need to understand. Spiritual reality always has a physical reality associated with it. That's really what we're talking about. When you begin to talk about the spiritual realities, you're talking about words like faith and what that faith's in. But when you talk about a a physical reality, you look at what that uh, produces. And that's what he's talking about here. And so we had that whole idea going on. So look at James chapter two, verse 19. You believe that there's one God. He says, You're doing well. You're good so far. But let me remind you, even the demons believe and tremble. So where would would we put the demons? They're dead. Living life of death. They're dead. But do you really, you could put that there, but do you really want to know, oh foolish man? Basically saying, you a person fooling yourself? that faith without works is dead. And then he says, verse 21, he pulls out Old Testament up character. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? What he's saying there is didn't, didn't Abraham's faith in God bring about a demonstration of that faith? 
That's what he's saying there. A faith demonstrated, flourishing. Do you see, verse 22, that faith was working together with his works and by faith, it was made perfect? You see, faith flourishes. It's a whole idea. Faith matures us. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. What this is saying, his faith and his trust in God was associated with the the fact that 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 faith produced a a dynamic or a, a demonstration that was physical. You could see it. He was there willing to offer up his son. Verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. The works mentioned in this passage, listen, can only be displayed by a living faith. I'm convinced there's a lot of people over here that think they have faith, but they don't have faith. Faith demonstrates itself. Faith is a spiritual reality. And without a physical reality associated with it is dead faith. It's not going anywhere. It's dead. So we see a new physical reality work in faith. The second physical reality is labor and love. He says in verse uh, uh, three, remembering without ceasing your faith, your work of, of faith and your labor of love. First Corinthians 16, 14 says this, let all that you do be done with love. It's the idea of selflessness, putting the interest of others above your own. It also means toiling and striving. And listen to this. Many, someone said this, I agree with them. You can labor and not love. How many of you did that this past week? You labored and you didn't love. Yes, sir. Those jobs are hard, aren't they? But you cannot love and not labor. There's this physical demonstration of it. New physical realities, patience with hope. The, the, the phrase under here is staying under pressure is really the whole idea. For, verse three, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love and patience of hope. And here it is. All three of these are in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. So what are you saying with the end statement there in our Lord Jesus Christ? It's referring back to the one that provided the life and the light to us. This is our reality. If it's true that we live in this reality, we will thrive, we will blossom, we will, we will be an influence. What type of influence? With work of faith, with labor of love, with patience of hope. When people use the word hope in normal conversation, they mean desire or expectation in the context of wishful thinking. That's how most of us use it. Matter of fact, I used it the other day. On the first hole, I part it. I go to the golf course, I part it. So I'm sure, I sure hope that means I'll at least shoot in the 70s. But my desire at the end of the round did not see the reality of my desired hope. And therefore it became wishful thinking. That's the kind of hope that the world uses. But biblical hope is this. It is desire founded in truth, followed by expectation, expectation and carried out by promise, executing God. That is biblical hope. And it's not like our hope. 
Next, why should we as Christians flourish? Because we are chosen. Did you know that you're chosen? How does that make you feel? You were chosen to leave death and walk in light. Excuse me. To leave darkness and walk in light. To leave death and walk and live. Flourishing living. Flourish living. That's the reason Jesus said, I come that you may have life and what? Have it more abundantly. That's flourish living. That's thriving. That's blossoming. But we've been chosen by God. Charles Spurgeon once said this. I sure am glad God chose me before the foundation of the world because I am convinced if he waited till I got here, he never would have done it. <laughs> I think we could all identify with that. The bottom line is this. Salvation is initiated by God. Look on your outline. Salvation is initiated by God. And that's what he's saying here. And secondly, salvation is irresistible to believers. Let me ask you a question. What person in their right mind would say no to life, I prefer death? No to light and wisdom, and from that comes peace and, and all the things associated grace and say yes to strife and inner struggle and hostility. And what person in their right mind would not choose this? It's a mind of rebellion. And for those who, who have chosen properly, which he chose you and you chose the fact he was choosing you, are those who are now walking in life. So here's the application. It is obvious from God's word that the true followers of Jesus will have a faith that is flourishing. And so here's my question. Does this describe you? Do you have a flourishing faith? Is it something that you can see that's real, that, that obviously I was once a person that was dead. I'm living in life now. A life provided by the Lord Jesus Christ in which one day, there was a day in my life in which I said no to the death, no to the darkness and took him up on life and said, yes, I want that life. Yes, I want this. And, and he said, well, here's how, here's how it happens. It happens by faith. It's you turning your back on these things and turning your faith towards me. It's you receiving me. It's you beginning to live a life that's surrendered to me and attempting to walk obediently with me and following me, no matter where it takes you. That's what we're talking about here. That's flourishing faith. So here's the question. Does this describe you? If not, what's keeping your faith from flourishing? What's keeping you from being this? For some of you, maybe you've never really left death. That's hard to say. Maybe, maybe you haven't really no testimony of life. Maybe, maybe, maybe you look like it, but you're really still here. Maybe you just need to be saved. Or maybe you're a Christian and this is what's provided for you. This is what it can look like. But for some reason, you're, 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 you're choosing this again. L let me tell you this. Once you've had a taste of this, it's hard to go back to that. 
So if it's easy for you to go back, now I realize our flesh pops up now and then and it, there's a temptation, there's a move over here, but let me, tell you one, tell, let me tell you one difference. If you've ever tasted this and reaped the benefits of this and the inner peace that's associated with this, when you do go over here, it will never satisfy. This is the most miserable Christian I know is one who has partaken of life in which they've taken on the provision that Jesus Christ has given them and they've made a decision or they've come over here. This is the most miserable person in the world. And if they're not, they've never tasted life. You get me? That's what we're talking about today. I want to ask you if you will, if you'll stand to your feet and just close your eyes and bow with me. Father, we just come to you here right now. And, and Lord, I don't know what you're up to, but I know that this is a subject matter that's very difficult. For some in this room, it may be those who have never tasted the life that you bring. Maybe, maybe the, there's something there that, that, that they've never partaken of. They may have thought they did. Maybe they walked down an aisle. Maybe they were baptized. Maybe they joined a church, but... What's been described here from your word is not where they're living. And they haven't even seen that before. Lord, help them realize there's a possibility that they may not know you. And Father, I pray for the Christian who's here today that has experienced life and there's been a flourishing that's taken place. And there was a time in their life where they were thriving and, and it was a life of beauty. It wasn't easy necessarily, but it was a life of beauty. Because even in the hard times, they saw you working. But Father, maybe for some reason, they chose to go back to that old life. And they're miserable sitting here right now. Maybe their journey back to that old life came through means of bitterness and hurt. Someone hurt them in a way that they find unforgivable. And they never think they can have what they once had because they've chosen to go back to that old dead life of unforgiveness and bitterness. Father, maybe there's someone here today that's basically saying, you know something? I'm tired of trying to play both worlds. I'm tired of attempting to live in the life of death and the life of life, uh, of life and, and, and I keep going back and forth and you hit it on the head, preacher. You said I'd be miserable. Maybe that's you here today. Father, I just pray whatever you have in store for us, whatever you're putting on our heart, whatever your Holy Spirit is prompting in us right now that we'll pay attention and help us to realize why we need to pay attention because eternity is at stake. Father, I just pray you'll have your way in this moment of invitation. In Jesus' name, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm gonna be here at the front. Another pastor will be here. If God's working in you, this altar's open. There'll be a pastor here if you need to talk to someone. Just do what he's calling to do in these moments. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed.